there's two poisons in the world. Number one is the opinions that other people have of you, your life, and where they think you should be, what you should be doing according to them, and your opinion of yourself of what you think you should be doing and where you think you should be based on their opinion. Those two things will demolish you. Like other people don't like change in your life because they have a specific blueprint about your position in their life. And if you violate that position in any way, they get uncomfortable because it's not, you know, according to the plan, it changes their whole hierarchy of events throughout their day. So they look at it and they're like, no, 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 you're changing your position of you in my life. Like they also have a blueprint of their position in your life, right? So these two things are always jockeying for a, a control in their life, but it influences yours. What is going on, everybody, guys? Welcome back this week to another amazing, very, very exciting episode of The Superhuman Life. As always, guys, I am your host, Frank Rich, and I just want to kick off today by letting you know how incredibly grateful and thankful we are to have you here with us today. Are you ready to be challenged here today? Are you ready to be forced and asked to look inside of yourself, to look at the mirror and expose your true, real self to yourself. Guys, we have an amazing guest with us in a jam-packed episode of value, of inspiration, of tough, difficult questions that you need to go and look at yourself and ask. Guys, I'm not going to do a lot of prep for this conversation because there's so much packed into this episode. So let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. Guys, we have with us the man himself, Smash Works. Yes, we have Dr. Trevor Bachmeyer on the show here with us. Many of you are familiar with Dr. Bachmeyer. For those of you that aren't, Dr. Trevor Bachmeyer is the founder and CEO of four global companies, Smashworks, Body Hacks, FedEx 365, and his online clinic, along with now owning one of the fastest growing high-performance coaching programs in the world, G-Life. He went from having a medical death sentence almost 14 years ago to being the number one health and fitness doctor on the planet today. Recently, he's been in the spotlight for his success with business and personal coaching that he began back in 2019. And he's affectionately known as the fittest doctor on the planet. Now, he just formed recently the latest fitness sensation, Diced, with workouts and training uh, programs designed to catapult your results. And guys, Dr. Bachmeyer is on fire for life. Not only did he have a near-death experience almost 14 years ago, he had another one about 11 months ago. And what an incredible story that is. So in this episode, we get all the way back in time. We go to the early stages, early years for Dr. Trevor, because a lot of people know him today, right? They see this guy online. They see the shredded doctors. They see the workouts in the garage. They see the videos, him running around the acres and acres that he owns. But I wanted to know who was the little Trevor and how did that lead us to the man that we all know today? We talk about the value of speaking truth to yourself. Do we then unpack his four rules? And guys, that part of the episode is one that you want to bring some pen and paper to, and you probably want to listen to multiple times because these four rules, when you learn to inject them in your life and run every decision that you make through these four rules, brother, I'm telling you, your life will radically transform and change. But we're so incredibly grateful to have Dr. Trevor with us here today. I told you from the beginning that this episode is filled with value jam-packed. So be ready to be questioned, to be ready to be challenged, be ready to be leveling up in all these areas of your life, guys. So without further ado, let's get into today's conversation with none other than Dr. Trevor Beckmeyer as a reminder to you that you are going to die. And I hope you guys enjoy today's conversation. Let's get into it. Dr. Trevor, yep. welcome to The Superman Life. Dude, man, I'm glad you're here. I, like, 
meeting you over at the uh, the fitness breakthrough in Nashville was probably one of the coolest fucking things ever because you got such good energy when I was standing there with my wife and we just started rapping. Like I even said to Brandy afterwards, I'm like, I feel like I've known this guy. Like, what do we stand there for like a half hour? Just bullshit. It felt, I mean, it felt like, it felt like it was five minutes when yeah. I looked at the clock. It was, it was a long time. And, man, and, and I knew good connection, right? Like just good connection. So I was like, Oh, I can hang with this guy all day. Man. Right out of the, right out of the gate, man. And I've been, yeah. you know, I've been sharing it with the audience that you're coming on. There's a lot of people excited to, oh, awesome. to hear. Good. Obviously you're a massive influential guy out there in the space. Um, and I'm just so excited because I know today is going to move people's souls, right? Like that's what we're here to is we're actually get, we're actually here to help people take action. So I'm so fired up because we have one of the most inspiring human beings on the planet here with us today. But Thanks, where I want to start with you, Trevor, if you're okay with it, is let's go back a little bit. As far as you're willing to take us, obviously I know you've had to overcome a lot of things in the past 11 months. You had some incidents like I think 15, 16 years ago with kind of being homeless. So we're going to get to all of that. Yeah. Let's even go further back, right? Because I'm curious as like little Trevor, what was little <laughs> Trevor like? And how has that man or that boy grown into the man that you are today? Dude, boy, that's, we could go all day on this one. So I was... Literally, I didn't. I don't have an off switch. Like I would go spend the night at friends' places, and I'd be that kid, like wide awake, you know, reading in the corner, playing with action figures, whatever the hell it was. The parents would, you know, open. Oh, like, Dude, you gotta go to bed, man. I'm like, no, I'm not wired like that. So I have been this way from the get. I've never been a guy that like sleeps till noon or anything like. That. I worked. I was a bartender and a DJ when I, I got a little older. And I mean, you, you close up at two, two thirty in the morning. But you're not done until 4, 4.35 if you do anything like, you know, there's I mean, stage in my life, you go to after parties, you do all this stuff. And it was, I would run on one or two hours of sleep. Now, I'm not saying that's healthy, but I never, I never needed to, to slow down. So, I, I mean, I was, I had my first real business in the third fucking grade. I was, yeah, it was wild because I was cutting lawns in my neighborhood. And I remember this guy, Doug Martin, my neighbor, Doug and Aileen Martin. So I don't know if I violated some law saying their name or anything, but they, uh, they had this dog in Nevada, and I used to always climb over the fence and play with the dog, right? And one day, um, he asked me, he goes, hey, he's a businessman. He owned, he owned this magazine, this big magazine. And he said, I guess, you want to make a couple of extra bucks? Oh, there's a little third grade Trevor. Yeah. He had an allowance of 25 cents. And I was like, all right. So he goes, we'll cut my line. Like, okay, how much? He goes, five bucks for the front, 10 bucks for the back. I go, okay, that's great. That's a fortune. Like, that's so much money. And there's a funny story about this, too. So I started cutting this. I started cutting his line every week. And, uh, and I went, I wonder if anybody else needs their lawn cut. So I went next door. I, I went all around my neighborhood and dotted everybody and started cutting all their lawns. And my dad is like, you got no time Saturdays and Sundays. Like you're like, my dad is a pastor. So it's like, you're going to church and you know, so you don't miss, you don't mess with that. And so I was running out of time and my dad's like, you're monopolizing your own time with this business. And then I went to the corner store, which was right around like a block away with this wad of cash. Like, I just was, like, I look like a pimp. Like, I just had so much money. And I walk in, and they're, like, pouring out dimes and nickels, and I'm pulling out 20s and 10s and 5s, and I'm like, look at all this. And my buddy, my next-door neighbor, who I grew up with, he goes, how much is your allowance? And I'm like, what allowance? I, go, I, I earned this from cutting lots. Now, what's really funny is he went to everybody, and I already made them commit to me for the whole summer. So... His mom called my mom and said, it's not fair that Trevor gets to cut all the lawns in the neighborhood. So I was like, well, that's kind of whiny, but no, no, no. <laughs> Dave, do you want to, do you want to, do you want to cut lawns? He's like, yeah, I want to earn some of this money. You got it. I will let you, you can come work for me. So I had him and two other guys, $1 for the front, $2 for the back. 
I didn't cut any lawns three weeks into the summer. They cut everything and they just brought me money. And you're making you're making four bucks on their one, and you're making nine bucks on their two in the in in the back. I mean, yeah. what a what a powerful what a powerful and, and lesson. Everybody there. was happy. Like nobody was like ripping me off or anything. Everybody, because it's all money they wouldn't have anyway. Exactly. You know, so it wasn't it wasn't like I didn't feel like I was manipulating somebody or being kind of a like just a prick. Like I was I was providing a service for everybody, and and I made so much money. I mean, I traded hockey cards in the mall. You know, like it's, I had a. Really, Wayne Gretzky rookie card. I shit you not. I had it in my Redline BMX spokes. I shit you not. And I'm like, that is the number one most valuable card on the planet now. Yeah, <laughs> hindsight, right? Yeah, those those cards sell for about a million a million a pop a pop right now, brother. This is this is this is why when we met, it's like I met a kindred spirit, right? Like because my my childhood is exactly the same. I had a lawn care business growing up. Like we were, you know, we were. Upper, lower middle class like we had everything we needed but there were kids that always had more right and i figured out very young age like if i wanted to get the more like there was opportunities to make money so i want to ask you because we have a lot of business owners we have a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to the show we also have a lot of men that maybe aspire to do that so knowing like that this is who you were like as a child and obviously it's led you to the massive success that you had as an entrepreneur today do you believe entrepreneurs are born or are they created they're created 100 percent because you have a choice and here's the issue. They're created by the environment you're around, whether it is an environment that says you can have anything you want if you are willing to become who the fuck you need to become to have that. If you don't do that, number one, you don't deserve it. You don't fucking deserve anything. And number two, and I, and I stand firm on that. People are like, well, that's not fair. It's not fair. Motherfucker, life isn't fair, number one. And number two is, if you didn't do the work, you shouldn't get the prize. You know, but the other part is if you're not born that way, because I mean, here's a great example. My dad, I mean, he was my hero. I mean, he died eight, nine years ago now, 67, right? End stage liver disease. And just like the coolest, coolest fucking guy, big, stern German man, literally crush your skull with his head. You know, like one of those guys, but my parents and my mom is, is she's still alive. She's amazing. Like I love my parents. They were strict. They had rules. I went to bed at the same fucking time until I was probably in the 10th grade. Like it was literally like you have no freedom unless you earn it. I got grounded more times than I can count. And I was allowed to watch an hour of TV a week. But when you're a kid, you're like, well, come on. Like Kevin gets to do that. He has an Atari. You know, it's funny you say Atari and somebody's like, what's that? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It yeah. walks shooting at little blocks with one button. Right. So, but but my parents didn't have a lot of money. Like my parents were pretty, pretty poor. You know, I'll say it pretty broke. Poor is a state of mind. Broke is a condition. Right. And so I just looked at what I, you have to know what you don't want in order to aim for what you want. Right. And I think a lot of people try and, and we were talking about this before, try and fill a gap with, with like just this superfluous, like nebulous garbage that they, it's, it's, it's the stuff that when it's busy, I mean, it's a bright sunny day here in Texas. It's like fun. You know, you live in this house, you get to do stuff. It's busy. There's, there's energy exchange, you know, there's, there's, there's noise, right? I call it fucking noise. But then you go to bed and the lights go out and everything stops. When the noise stops at the end of your day, that's when your brain is either going to tell you where to go to get better or run a train on yourself as to why you're not yet fucking there. And I think what people do is they, they like Lipton, right? Dr. Lipton, he said like 95% of our actions and what we do every day is automated. 
which means that's only 5% of our own volition. If you go one step further, Brian Tracy, right? I'm a big Brian Tracy fan. He said that in order to have a new idea, a new product, a new service, a new mindset, a new anything, you only need a 5% difference. Oh, it's weird how those fucking numbers match, right? So if you change 5% of your life and 5% is of your own volition, you've instantly created a whole new person. But you can't do that when your environment is going, this is how you should be, right? We're sold on the, the idea of average as it being a great thing, right? Middle class, right? Dude, I just want to sit in the middle class and, and make my, you know, 80 to 100 grand combined income. Mom and dad both work. We got healthcare. We got a 401k. Like all this bullshit that does nothing. And then we rely on others for our own security and wonder why when things go sideways and our life turns into a dumpster fire, we don't have anything, you know? And I think as I was growing up, my parents laid down one thing more than anything, and that is rules matter. Rules matter and winning fucking counts. So when people go, like, Matt, we're in the world of 11th place trophies. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you shitting me? Dude, I had my ass handed to me. I was 135 pounds when I graduated high school. And I got my ass beat on the hockey rink by these giant-ass farm kids. So I had two choices. Either get bigger, I had no hope when I was a kid, or get faster and better. Guess what I did? I got faster and better. Well, there was choice three, but I'm not wired for it. But can't do that. It's not wired. Right? I just don't have that in my DNA. And so I think becoming an entrepreneur is a choice, but it is that you have to you got to buckle up. You have to know that you're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be alone. You're going to be hated. You're going to have people try and talk you out of it. And the ones that are going to troll and hate on you the most and try and shit on your dream are the motherfuckers that are the closest to you. Yeah. So here's, here's, I know this is obviously, this is, this is going to be really, really powerful for you. Cause I know a lot of the people that you work with and coach, you know, these high level people, but everything in leadership, I believe we just had Larry Natch, which, you know, oh, yeah. at the event as well. Yeah. Everything in leadership oh. is centered around behavioral change. Right. Yeah. And I know that's obviously a big, big strength of yours. So if somebody's hearing this and what you're saying is resonating with them, you're like, yeah, you know what? Like my environment is actually holding me back. Maybe they're living in the crab bucket that Pedro's talked about, yeah. like on during his talk. What are, what are the steps that this, this man needs to begin to take to Get change out. the environment around him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So what, that's a, that's such a good question. You, you got skill. I like that. So it reminds me of talking like Joe, right? Like Rogan is like, this, like just really good at like looking at stuff. So if you look at a, a person, you have to first know where you are. Like when I coach somebody, whether it's a business coach or a financial coach or a relationship, or I just like, I hate the term life coaching because they're a fucking soccer mom out there. goes, Hey, I took this Tony Robbins course. And you're like, Fuck. Listen, <laughs> but as a coach in general, when, the, when I ask a question, hey, listen, how much is your bank account? I can't tell you that. That's embarrassing. I can't help you, man. You're not willing to look at your own demon. Like, it's a fucking mirror, not a window, motherfucker. Like, like it's a reflection, so I need to know where you're at. So the first thing people need to do is, honestly, they need to get honest. You got to look at your own life and go, I don't like where I'm at, number one. And then you have to, you fucking have to hate where you are. And it's a strong word, but it's the truth. You have to hate where you are more than you hate the work required to change where you're at, to change it to where you want to be. So if somebody wants to take steps to go, all right, listen, I'm in this box, whatever that is, my marriage, my relationships, my fitness, my kids, like it doesn't matter. My finances, first of all, there's so much money right sloshing around in the economy. Don't you dare. People are selling farts in a fucking jar. Like get out of here. There's so much money. So if somebody wants to change that, you have to look first at, where you really are, not the sugar-coated bullshit that you want other people to see, but I mean like get 
so honest with yourself that you need to learn like, and, and this is a skill in order to do that. You have to learn to not give a fuck about the opinions of other people mm. in comparison to your opinion of yourself. I have to be careful because that second part's important because otherwise you're kind of a narcissistic prick, right? Like you just like the sociopath where you're just like, you know, oh, fuck everybody else. And I have no remorse. Well, now you're just, you know, you're Dexter fucking broken. So, but you have to just not give a shit about anyone else's opinion more than your own. And that's really uncomfortable because we have this, we've been taught from a very young age that in order to get along, you only agree. And that's not accurate. So to change, you have to look at where you're at and go, I'm not happy here. And then stay at that. Don't, because people validate why their goals get smaller. You know, they're like, okay, I really, I, when people, ah, how much money do you want? Oh, I want to have like billions. Cool. Give me a real number. I don't care if it's billions, how many billions to the fucking penny. You know, you have to know where you want to go from where you're at. And then you have to resolve in advance that no matter what, you never give up until you get there, no matter what. And then you look at your circle. You look at your circle of five, six, seven people that you hang around with, and you ask yourself one question only. And it's an easy way. They have such great, powerful tells, these people in your circle. You ask yourself, when I win, who fucking cheers and who tries to drag me down? Because I'm going to tell you right now, Legends and seriously winning motherfuckers cheer the loudest. Mm. Losers and trolls, they hate on you and try and pull you down and talk you out of it. So if you want to expose anybody in your circle, ever, it's the easiest thing you can do. Start stacking wins like a gangster. And just look at the reaction of people. If people are like, dude, that is so bad. Like if you told me, Trev, I just made an $800 million deal and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And I just like, we're like, I'm having another baby and we built this great house. Then you just start telling me all these great wins. You already know I'm going to be like, holy fuck, man. I'm coming to your house. We're going to hang out. I'm taking you out for dinner. We're going to just, this is fucking epic. I can't wait. That is the difference between who's in your life that matters and who doesn't. And a lot of people take offense to that. Like, you telling me my mother doesn't matter? No, it's not what I said. But her opinion doesn't. If she's trying to drag you down, you need to literally learn how to disconnect that opinion to go, I love you. But you cannot be part of my circle because that's mm. the second part of this. You have to get honest with where you're at. You have to look at where you really want to go and why you want to be there. Because the why is what's going to give you the horsepower to go through when like it, it allows you to be absolutely ruthless and relentless. No matter what. Because on sunny days like this, it's easy. You just, it's just another wonderful day. But when it is a nightmare and your whole world is burning to the ground and you feel like you've got nothing and nobody and you're eating cans of beans and ramen in a fucking dark alley. You still have to have a why, and that why shouldn't change. And that's what's going to give you horsepower to get up and be so relentless because that's all you've got. So you have to be willing to do that. And the only way you do that is by resolving in advance to never quit, ever, ever. No matter what, it is non-negotiable. Like it, there's, It's not up for debate because people reduce the quality of their goals based on the effort that they're putting out and the lack of outcome that they're achieving because it's not happening fast enough. So they go, well, just... I've been trying this. I tried. This is the best. I've tried everything. Have you really? Everything? Every fucking thing? That's a lot of shit to try, man. I try everything, and I'm not even close to trying everything for real. You know, like I'm like that kid. Might give it to Mikey. Mikey likes it. Like I'm that guy, right? <laughs> Only people over forty know what that is, right? They're like, oh, the cereal. Yeah. So that being said, so if they're gonna do that and they're in their own head and they don't like where they're at, they have to get comfortable with actually saying, "I don't like where I'm at," and then not negotiate. Because the number one thing people do, you know how many people try, like the number of times people try and achieve their goals, less than one. Because they talk themselves out of it. 
You know, oh, okay, France, I got this great idea. Okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Well, that's going to take me about a year. You know, and I got this, I got this mortgage. And uh, I got a lot of things this summer. I'm going to probably do it next summer. And that is going to cripple me. And that's what most of these guys are going to do. So if they're watching this right now and they're hearing this right now, you have to resolve it. And I'll say it again and again. Resolve in advance to never, ever quit. Because you've already made the decision before it happens. You can't quit. And there's nothing. Like if people go, yeah, but Trev, this is different. You don't understand my situation. They took my fucking lung and I left the hospital in a wheelchair. Okay? Of course I understand what it's like. I lived in my car, you know, with a screwdriver under my arm. So I didn't get robbed, beat up in the middle of the night. I had nothing. I stole food. You know, I sat there and I, I spent my last couple of bucks to buy some kind of a drug to end my life. Because I hated where I was and I didn't think I could do anything about it. I got found by kids in a fucking junior high school lot in my car, passed out because I had just enough in my mouth, even though I spat it out because it was bitter as shit, still put me out. And that's when you look at your life and you go, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then you make the decision to go never again, right? Like Anthony Robbins says, like either inspiration or desperation. That's what causes you to do something. And so if you're going to change your life, you have to decide that it's worth it for you and why. Because it's you first, everybody else afterwards. And that has nothing to do with being selfish. You cannot do anything for anyone else if you're fucking broken. You can't. And, and yet people go, well, that's really selfish. In fact, that's the most selfless thing you can do is work on your course. And people will not, like if I was like, I have this $100,000 course and it's going to change your whole mindset and you're going to just change how you think. It's going to just ultimately design you so you can have life on your terms versus Hey, I got this $100,000 shiny dick on wheels outside that's got, you know, crazy horsepower and it goes super fast. More people will choose that shiny dick. It's weird. You know? So if they're going to change it, they have to look at where they are, get honest, and then resolve it and ask them to quit. And then finally, they need to have rules that they run. It's like a strainer every day. I have my same four rules, right? And I run everything through those. Every decision I make goes through that. And if I ever have any questions inside me, the first thing I do is apply those rules and then I follow up with the same phrase. Is what I'm about to do going to bring me closer or further away from where I ultimately want to end up? I just got off a co- I just got off a coaching call this afternoon where we were we were discussing this. We were discussing like taking action immediately. Like when something comes across your desk, like I was coaching one of one of the men in our program, it's either get it done right now, find the person on your team that's gonna be able to get it done for you, or slot it in your calendar when it's going to get done. Don't say, Oh, I'll just finish it, finish it later. You know, one of the things I really like to do with these podcasts is obviously I shared with you at the beginning, the men that I help are specifically trying to overcome pornography addiction. So I love getting people like yourself that are just crushing it in multiple areas of our life and then hearing these principles of success that we're actually doing in our program. And I just want to reinforce a couple of things that you said here to the men out here that are obviously listening. So you talked about defining the end state, the end outcome first, right? Here's so many men like, I hope I can quit porn. Oh, if I can just go 30 days without porn. If you're trying to quit this. Please add one thing to that because there's, I mean, this is a whole, what we're doing right now could easily take an entire year. I'm not kidding. Like we could go through this for a year and I think we could have some fun. That's just on the side. I think we could do some dope shit together, but we are going to do some dope. Yeah, I think we should really do. And that's just on the side. I think we should do some really cool shit. Um, but I think the big thing is you need to define your, your end where you want to be reverse engineer, right? From where you want to end up. But then you also have to go, what am I going to do when I get there? Because if you don't have, what you're going to do 
When you get there, we've seen it infinite number of times. Dude, I've worked so hard to get this girl, to date this girl, to marry this girl, and then they just go to shit. And they turn their life and go, just a giant burn, burning shit pot. These people win $300 million in the lottery. They have prayed and begged and done everything they can to have money. All of a sudden, they get it two and a half years later. That's the average, by the way. They have it. It's all gone. You have to know why, why you want it and what you're going to do when you get there. You get to the end zone, you better fucking know what you're going to do. Because if you don't, you run right back into that thing where you tripped over success. You don't know how you got there. And all you do is fuck it up. And you can trip over success and failure. Is that what happened in your life then? Because we, we kind of glossed over a couple of things here and you kind of threw a couple of things out there. We heard about the growing up, like entrepreneurship at eight, already learning how to make money. Most people are going to hear that and then see where you're at today and think that it's just this linear you know, trajectory that you've been on your entire life. And I know that's not the case. So bring us up to speed a little bit with kind of some of those moments you talked about being homeless, sleeping in the car, you know, the screwdriver underneath the thing. Like how did that happen in your life? If you already knew how to make money and build teams at eight years old, like it should have just been a plug and play. Right. But what happened in your life? Except what happens is that there's, there's two poisons in the world. Number one is the opinions that other people have of you, your life and where they think you should be, what you should be doing according to them and your opinion of yourself of what you think you should be doing and where you think you should be based on their opinion. Those two things will demolish you. Like people, other people don't like change in your life because they have a specific blueprint about your position in their life. And if you violate that position in any way, they get uncomfortable because it doesn't, it feels, it's not systemic, it's systematic. It's not, you know, according to the plan, it changes their whole hierarchy of events throughout their day. So they look at it and they're like, no, 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 no. You're changing your position of you in my life. And then they go, they also don't like, like they also have a blueprint of, their position in your life, right? So these two things are always jockeying for a, a control in their life, but it influences yours. So what happened to me was I started thinking, well, fuck, I gotta, like, you know, you start to get a little bit of money and you start to do things and you get, you see, you know, more eyes on you and, and you become more popular. You're not, nobody gives a fuck about you, man. They give a fuck about the image being beside you. You know, I would love to be the nameless person. Love it. I would love it if I walked around, nobody knew who the fuck I was. It's hilarious sometimes. I'll walk around here, I'll go to Six Flags or any, hell, in Nashville, like people, or uh, Disneyland or anywhere, people are like, holy shit, dude, can I take a picture of Smash Bros? Still the weirdest thing in the world to me. Because it's such a manufactured celebrity, but it's still there. I, I don't, I mean, I love that. It's always humbling, but at the same time, I don't care. Like, I have friends of mine that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, have these epic families. Nobody knows who the fuck they are. You know, so you have to look at your value is not determined by others. It's determined by the face and the answers and the questions you have to the person in the mirror. And I think people do things to fill a gap. It's like I said, it's always going to come back to that. You have a gap. So I had gaps, right? I didn't feel worth worthy enough. I saw other people doing things and I was like, oh, you know what? I, you self-sabotage because you run a routine in your brain. And that routine, whether you like it or not, is based on what I said at the beginning, right? The automation, Dr. Lipton said. So you have this automation. Well, the only difference between, let's say, Elon Musk's automation and mine is that his is driving him towards what he wants. But he wasn't born like that. He just put the right things into his cabbage to make that happen and then started executing. A lot of people, they get these great programs and books and they don't read past the first chapter. Like right behind you, there's that door. That's actually a library in there. It's this huge library full of books. And people ask about my, uh, my Audible library. It's 1,700 books. And I've listened to all of them on two 2x speed because that's if you can imagine i read really slow so 
this kind of thing is is important. But I mean, I lost everything. You know, there was a time in, like so. The first time I got cancer was 17 and a half years ago, I guess about now. And the girl I was with at the time left me cold. I came home. They're like, you got nine months to live. You're going to fucking die. And you're 48 right now, Doc, right? For 48 for context. So you got cancer in early 30s the first time? Yeah, correct. And, and so I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage 3B. It was bad. Both sides of the diaphragm. Like it got real bad real quick. Uh, it was my fault to her. You know, it's, it's just like this laundry list of blame, right? So I understand the panic, yet I didn't understand the panic because I'm like, dude, I couldn't get any more rock bottom. They just told me I'm going to die. You know, and of course you have this faith in the medical system, which is a whole other conversation. So that being said, I went, fuck, well, there was, you know, medical expenses and I, I actually went off the rails. I went, you know what? I had, I had so much money and I just went berserk. I just tried to fill the gap. I tried to turn up the noise on what I was doing to drown out the noise of being scared as fuck and feeling inadequate, feeling worthless, feeling like I failed. All of those are very real for me. You know, and what was even more depressing for me was I had a refrigerator full of broccoli and chicken and rice. And like, I, it was not, I never ate sugar. I didn't eat sugar until I met my wife. <laughs> this is another funny story, but so, and, and I, I love her for it, but I, I wound up losing everything. And then I mean, lights, furniture, like, Nothing, fucking nothing. I was so broke. And I, the worst time I was at was when I was in this, I was already technically evicted. I was in this apartment and I was just squatting because they didn't lock, change the locks. So I was in this place with, you know, blanket on the floor and I would stay there for as long as I could. I would never sleep there. I'd sleep in my car, right? Because I was always afraid they were going to come in and arrest me. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. So I would just go there to quickly do things. And then they locked out and I was out, right? So I had to live in my car for a while. And I would, I remember sitting there and I said to God, you know, and I mean, people believe in God, people don't believe in God. That's up to them. I believe in God a hundred percent. And I sat there and I said, you know what? You better give me a fucking reason to be here. Cause I was at my wits end, right? Like I was done. I'd been fighting this cancer. I kept getting sick. I was weaker. I felt like such a failure. And I said, you better give me a reason because I'm not going to let, like, I was angry at God. When I got sick, I was angry at God. I hated my parents. God, every, it was everybody else's fault. I didn't once look in the mirror. Like I was a bitch. And, and I, I said, you better give me a reason to be here. Cause I'm not going to let you fucking win. I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'll do it myself. Fuck you. Cause I thought that's, that was me being a tough guy. Right? And I chambered around. And then I fell asleep on my floor, bawling my eyes out. Two days later, I met my wife. Now, people can, I am surrounded by miracles. Like I could do a, a 10 hour call on just all the miracles I've seen. And they're not, you could twist that to look like a miracle. No, it's a fucking miracle. Cause two days later, I met this woman that I honestly feel, it, it, I, I feel like I've been in love with her my entire life. Like I, like I wouldn't like every other relationship. It's not this weird, like, oh, that's sweet. You know, Netflix special. It's the truth. I just, it fit, you know, and it wasn't panic or loss. It fit. Well, I met this woman and I sat across the table from her and I was like, like first date ever. It was at a uh, Chevy's. There's nobody in this place. It was the weirdest thing. Lunch. Right. And I sat across from the table and I went, I am, I've known this girl for four hours and I am crazy in love with her. Like, I, I feel like I've known her forever. I, I, I knew, I didn't even have to think. I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. And I sat there and I went, 
I have to tell her that I have what they labeled as terminal cancer. I have to fucking tell this woman. Because I can't be that dick that goes, all right, let's start a relationship. Let's fall in love. Let's have this great thing. And then go, oops, by the way, six months in. You're a selfish fucking prick if you do that. So I sat there and I had an argument inside my own head. And I got to take the chance of her getting up and walking away. It's the most horrible feeling I've ever had because she would have every right to get up and go, I can't do this. Right? And so I said, you know what? I said, Brandy, I got to tell you something. I said, and she didn't miss a beat. She goes, is it about cancer? And I was like, uh, what? And she goes, yeah, some of the people, she was a trainer at the gym. And, uh, and she said, some of the people here said you're, you're really sick, like you're not doing really well. And I said, yeah. I said, I got to tell you, man. I, uh, they gave me, you know, they gave me, they gave me nine months, right? And um, 16 years still gets me. And, and I said to her, you don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm going out. And she said, she didn't miss a beat. It's the coolest fucking thing anybody's ever said to me. And she said, I don't care if you have two months or two minutes or years or two years. She's like, I don't care. She says, I'll, uh, I'll take it. And, and I knew, you know, I fucking knew. And I, 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 three months later, we were engaged. Three months after that, um, we were married. And uh, about seven months after that, we had my daughter. And it's one of those things that it changed everything. But I came into that relationship so fucking broke, so alone. I felt so devastated. And worthless and I felt like a failure so bad and every time I looked at her I thought god I'm failing this woman and you know what every time I looked at her I went I can't that's my wife I can't I can't I can't fail this life because now I am responsible for another person not as in a child but I'm responsible for the feelings and the and that matters to me you know and, and I think people get real selfish and they go well I only matter didn't Trevor didn't you say that you're you're first yeah when it comes to making yourself better because that's how you make others better that's what this is you know so that i mean that was the, the the catalyst that started every fucking thing because before that i i was i was done you know i partied like a rock star i did just about everything i could shove in my body i did the most horrible things i i just pissed off everybody and i blew all my money and then i went fuck what have i survived screwed right here i am 16 years later yeah man that's that's so so beautiful, man. And, 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 and I love you so much for, for sharing. I just want to kind of point out a few things that kind of came here. First, of all, I don't know if you remember me telling you this. I think I, I think in Nashville, I told you my favorite part about your talk and my favorite part about meeting you is how you honor your wife, just in your talks and, and, and how you even speak about her here today. So you went from a level 10, you, you, you changed your tone, you change your delivery as you're talking about her. So that's how I can tell that everything you're sharing here is coming from your heart. It is, it is real and it's true. And I felt the connection between the two of you. I mean, when you talk about Brandy, you light up differently, whether it's from a stage, whether it's in a personal conversation, in a one-on-one -on -one, or here on the podcast. I just want to recognize you here for that because. You know, she is my best friend. So what has Brandy taught you about relationships or taught you about yourself? Boy, we taught each other, man, because like my, my, I mean, she's, I call her my queen. That's what she is. But Brandy is the most savage fucking human being. Professional soccer player, literally doesn't have an off switch. Like weird how we get along, right? <laughs> so driven. So like 
she will bleed and drag herself across the floor to finish something because she said she was going to do it. She's one of those few people that if you go, hey, listen, just give it to Brandy. You don't even have to think. You literally can walk away. You know it's going to get that. You, and it's been that way since the day I met. Now, on the flip side of that, she has no problem slitting your throat. Because, but I love that. You know, I don't, I didn't ever want some mamby-pamby Stepford wife that's just like, yes, you can do whatever you want. Like, I don't want that. I want someone where we can build an empire together as a fucking team, right? Like, I'm the visionary and she's the operator, right? And that's probably the best, that's the most symbiotic relationship I think a couple can have. I don't give a fuck how much money people have, what they do for business, whether they work together, whether they don't. None of that matters. None of that matters. You just can't both be visionaries or operators because you're going to kill each other or you're not going to get anything done. And it just happened to work that way. But I mean, she taught me, honestly, to be unbelievably vulnerable. And I'm not talking like a macho motherfucker. Like, I mean, just vulnerable. Like, there is nothing she doesn't know about me and nothing that I don't know about her. And here is the de definition of, I think, a very real relationship. And I think most people don't have a real relationship. It's harsh, but it's true. And that is that you give that person every tool in that, like, you have. You give them an, an arsenal of weapons to just utterly fucking demolish you, knowing full well they're not. Because if you don't, people tend to do, well, yeah, but you don't understand my relationship. She's so mean. Are you kidding? My wife and I were at each other's throats for a while, you know, and like a couple of years. Like we were just like, everything was, it was nitpick and set each other off and like angry. And it would be like, even if we like, we would have sex and then afterwards it would be just like fucking bitterness to each other. And like, it didn't matter. Because we were too busy, you know, like, like ready, right? Bracing for the impact of something that has never happened. You know, and like, it's like our futures are filled with all kinds of horrible fucking things that have never happened. So she taught me to be vulnerable. And then we both did that. And there is nothing more amazing. Like if that's, that's probably the coolest thing anybody else has ever done. For because I, I think if you really want to like spin around this big blue marble, and have the most kick-ass fucking life. And I mean, we're talking money and happiness and health and all of that become utterly defenseless because you will not create any animosity. Now, that's not saying, don't think for a second, I won't go out and slap a motherfucker in the throat. But you have to be vulnerable to the people that you love and that love you because that's the only way it's going to work. And that I learned from my wife. Yeah, that's powerful, man. Um, I want to circle back to, to something you're sharing when you yeah. talked about these kind of four, like this filter, these four questions My rules. of everything that you, that, that, that you run to. Would you be open to sharing yeah. what your filter, what your rules are? And then how can somebody go about building that out in their own life? How yeah. can we get clear on what our rules should and need to be? Yeah, that's exactly it. Because it's easy to like create these arbitrary rules, right? Yeah. And I've, I've always had rules, you know, like, I mean, you could hurt from my childhood. But when I came out of the hospital, I mean, I laid there. I mean, even just to go back into that, I laid there the first time I was in ICU. It was in uh, July of last year. I mean, last year, you know, and so this is not the 16 years ago. Though, no, this, cancer is one. Now, this is the more recent one. We yeah, haven't even I given people like, what happened here. Well, I'm dying. So let's 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 tell them what was going on then and there. And then I do want to circle back and make sure we get these rules and kind of. The yeah, well, this, plan this is where the rules were born. Basically. Got it. OK, so, yeah, like, I mean, I, I went to the I was sick and I got worse. And all of a sudden I was like, I woke my wife up at midnight and I was like, and I'm not like that. Like, I'm like, you need to take the hospital right now. Something's wrong. Something's horrifically wrong. And she, and she was like, it bugs her when I'm in pain. It bugs me when she's in pain. Like we, there's such a good connection there. And so she's like, let's go. 
Well, they brought me in. I was 106 degrees. You know, my fever. So if people understand physiology, you don't have to be a doctor. That's brain damage. Your brain turns into fucking liquid. Like it's a bad, bad day. So I was 106 degrees. They rushed me into ICU, covering me in alcohol and ice and trying to cool me down. They did all these tests. It was one thing after the other. And all of a sudden, magically, like they dope me up, right? I was like, wow, I feel actually pretty fucking good. They sent me home. And that same day, I literally went like this and then just wham into the ground. I got to the hospital. I couldn't breathe. That's when things got bad. Next thing you know, um, they're having a conversation two days after me being in ICU, trying to figure out what's going on with me and arguing on whether or not to put me on a ventilator. And I'm laying there at 2.30 in the morning. And I remember on my phone, so I was texting my wife. And I said, like, all of a sudden I had this horrible feeling. I'm like, I'm not going to make it in the morning. Like, I was like, Frank, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make it. Fuck. I'm going to let this one down. Like, it was such a, it's, I cannot explain how it felt because you cannot, you can't convey it, but it, it was terrifying. And the only thing that kept going through my head was, fuck, I'm going to miss this place and I'm going to miss these people, which doesn't even really make sense, right? From a, from a, I guess, a metaphysical point of view, but at the same time, I thought, fuck. So I started messaging my wife, how to run everything in our world. I mean, she had the, all the passwords in there because you don't, that's right off the bat. Anybody that's watching this, you share your fucking life, man. Don't you dare have a separate password on your fucking phone. And, you know, like if you're the guy that's like, you know, I got a lock on my phone. This is on a tangent. And then some message comes through. And you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me that. You already are a shit. I'm talking to a lot of men right now. A, a lot of guy. men. Because I literally will go, can you get that for me? Can you check to see who that is? Do I even want to answer that? Because that's my life. If you mm-hmm. cannot be vulnerable at that level, you're fucking broken, but you can change it. But that's a whole other thing. I mean, we talk about that all day. So I'm texting her going, listen, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is where this is. This is where this is. And it's all stuff she kind of knew, but I was like laying it all out. right? And I'm bawling. And all of a sudden FaceTime comes on and there she is. And she says, she goes, Trevor, you, you, you can't do this. You can't fucking do this. She goes, you are the toughest man I've ever seen in my, my life. She's like, you are the strongest human being I've ever seen. She goes, you don't quit. I'm, like, I'm not quitting. I, said, I just don't think I'm going to make it. And she said, I can't do this life without you. She said, I can't. She goes, I need you. And I remember getting off and I said it on my talk. I got off the phone and I literally, it's like something snapped inside me. And I, I, I just was like, fuck you, man. Not like, like, fuck you, disease. Fuck you, lack of health. Like, fuck you. I am not done. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't anger like, like, I want to snap the spine of something. It was just, like, fucking rage. Like, how dare, like, me? I was basically looking at myself in the mirror going, how dare you be a bitch and let this happen? And you know what? Somebody's going to hear this, and they're going to go, really? That's what you did? That's your fucking problem, is you don't believe in yourself. That's your fucking problem. Whoever's watching it, that's your fucking problem. But I got angry at being allowing myself to get that in my head, even if it was my last day, to think it. And I got to work and I started going, you know what? No way. You know, a couple of days later, I was out of the hospital. And then I went back in because all of a sudden I couldn't breathe again. I had all this pain. And I mean, we're talking like 11 out of 10. And I went in and took an x-ray. Like this is two weeks later. So between in two weeks, I had a volleyball-sized tumor growing in my chest. Yeah, there's some weird medical shit going on in this world. I'll just leave it at that. So I went to the hospital. They took an x-ray. They're like, you need to go to ER right now. They couldn't find a surgeon. 
This is another miracle you're going to hear. It's going to be mind-blowing. They couldn't find a surgeon. They had no beds. There were people lined up in the hallways and had a fucking tent outside for COVID people, right? And they were like, we, we can't. They were going to ship me out of state. And every day I'm dying. I'm getting worse. Less air, less oxygen. My sats are plummeting. I would get tired sitting up in the bed and I was in so much pain. They just had me on, they were doping me up around the clock. And I finally, and I had no shower because the, the hospital was so busy that I was in the ER waiting room. Those little glass door, little waiting areas, right? It's like a little tiny ER room, the exam room. So there's nothing in there, like a TV and that's it. And I finally was like, can I get, can I take a shower? Can I do something? I've been here three days. I fucking stink. And they're like, well, we can bring you like buckets. So they brought me, I still have a picture of, of these two pink buckets, right? These flesh stone Barbie shit pink buckets. One was filled with soapy water. One was filled with clear water. Oh, standing there on a towel, buck naked. And right before that, I sat on my bed. Right before that. And I said, you know what? God. Whew. Fucking sketchy, dude. Scared. Thank you for giving me another 50 years of my life. Thank you for making me strong. Thank you for giving me like fucking ironclad lungs and a savage heart and a great mindset. Thank you for giving me these two amazing kids. Thank you for giving me the relationship with my best friend, my wife. Thank you for this crazy wild ride we're going to finish up over the next 50 years. I literally thank, thank you for finding me the best surgeon in the world. Thank you for healing me. I just said all that stuff in the span of about 45 seconds. And I stood up, stripped down, about ready to start washing myself in these buckets. And I get this knock in the glass. Probably seven, 10 minutes after I did that. Trevor Walkmeyer, I'm like, yeah, as the door sliding open, I go, hey, dude, just let you know, I'm standing here fucking naked, you know, why don't, you know, it's, you've seen it before, but just so it's not weird. And he comes in, he goes, hey, I just want to let you know that your ride to Dallas Presby is going to be here in a half an hour for your surgery tomorrow. Huh? I sat down and started bawling. I texted my wife, because I, I just finished telling her, like, fuck this, I can't find a surgeon. It's three days, man. I don't know what to do. Text her, I said, get the kids right now, man. They're coming to pick me up to take me to Dallas. I have surgery tomorrow at 1230. And she's like, what? And I still remember looking out the back of the ambulance with the guy in the jump seat trying to keep me calm so I lose my shit. And I see her Porsche sitting behind, like literally glued to the back of that thing. She drove right into the emergency entrance. They were like, you can't come in here. She's like, I don't fucking care. And I'll just keep going. And you know, it was, it, it couldn't have been more wild, this fucking miracle. And not only was it a surgeon, it was the best surgeon, Dr. Pooley, who looked this guy up. The best surgeon in the entire U.S., thoracic surgeon. And I sat there and I was like, holy fuck, you guys are going to do surgery in, uh, in like 14 hours. And I didn't start off with like a sprained thumb, right, Frank? It's like, hey, guess what? I fucking broke my thumb, dude. Check it out. I was dirt bike. It's something stupid. Uh, hey, guess what? You're starting off with, what's that again? Oh, yeah, thoracic surgery. We're going to fucking open you up and look inside your chest. Oops. Yeah. And then they took me into surgery and I kept telling my doctor, I had only one thing to say to my surgeon. I said, you have only one job. Bring me the fuck back to her. That's all you need to do. That's it. And he goes, you're going to be okay. And I was like, again, all you need to do, I don't care about that. Bring me back to her. Because when I'm back with her, the kids are fine. Everything's fine. The world's fine. They took me down for surgery. Surgery went an hour longer than it was supposed to. My wife was getting text messages. These automated, it's weird surgery nowadays about my surgery. She's sitting outside in Dallas Presby waiting and stressing out 15 minutes longer, half an hour longer, 45 minutes longer. Well, when they got in, a lot worse than they thought. So they brought me out afterwards. I mean, I still have this big memory of this big giant nurse going, this one keeps trying to sit up, you know, because in recovery, you're either combative, high, or sick. I was a little bit combative and a whole lot of high. 
So they brought me into the room and I had these giant garden hoses coming out of me, right? Hooked up to everything in the wall, vacuum tubes, IVs everywhere. And then they say, okay, Mr. Bachmer, I just want to let you know, surgery went well. It's a little more complicated than we thought. Uh, but we wanted, we got the entire mass out, we put the tumor out, took care of everything. And we were really sore for a while. And uh, we also had to end up taking most of your left lung. And I'm kind of like, I didn't really remember it. And then about a half hour later, it came up again. And in my conversation, I was like, did I hear, did they, they took my lung? Yeah. And I'm like, well, that changes a lot of shit. And then they tried to sell me. This is when my rules came out full throttle. I've always had these baseline rules, but this is when they came out clearly. And it changed everything. Like these rules changed everything. And that's, that's where you need to come from is it doesn't have to be a catastrophe. Mm -hmm. They have to be very clearly defined that are going to give you the framework to do everything you want to do in your life to live it on your fucking terms. Because if you do not do that, you are living life on someone else's terms. That's it. It's that simple. And so I, they were like, well, you're going to have to get used to being you know, a lot slower. You can't do all the physical stuff you used to. You're not going to be able to, you know, you just got to use. You're lucky. You're lucky. It's okay. Half hour after I was in that room, I said, get me the fuck out of this. And they went, uh, we'll wait till tomorrow. Oh, Mr. Buckmeyer, we'll wait till tomorrow. I said, uh, get me out of this bed or you're going to pick me up off the floor. Forget those chairs. And I got a video of me hobbling around all still, high as a fucking kite in that room. So I would do laps around my own IV stand. And then I started doing laps around the nurse's station. You know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80. And I never stopped moving from that minute. I haven't yet. 274 days. I have not yet stopped. But it's because I run everything through those rules. Because those rules, and I, you don't think I've doubted myself, Frank? I've, I've wanted to fucking quit. I've hated it. I've been miserable. It fucking hurt. I came home and I walked around that. If I turned my, 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 uh, see it. If I turned that giant driveway out there, it's about 400 meters. I walked around that with, I have a video of it with me with a sled. I just did laps around it until I couldn't. I told my wife after two hours after she brought me home, okay, I'm going out there and I'm going to do laps until I can. I'm getting so two actors after getting home from the hospital, having a lung removed, volleyball-sized tumor, yeah. you're out pulling a sled in the heat yep. for two hours. Seven days. It was seven days. So I got my surgery, and seven days later, I was home. I came home. I saw my kids. I hugged and kissed. loved my kids. I hadn't seen my kids for a week, right? Uh, Ten days, actually. Because I wouldn't let them in the hospital. And because COVID was weird, right? You can't see your family when you have COVID, apparently. And and so I came home. I loved all my kids. I saw my dog. I hugged my wife. And I said, Ben, let's go outside. She goes, she knew. She wasn't like... I don't think that's a good idea. She was like, let's go. I, I, I fucking like it. I get fucking goosebumps. Like, I, I fucking love that. Like, she's such a badass. She's such a fucking badass queen because she, like, I get her and she gets me. Because I went, here's all of me. And that's where my rules came from. You know, rule one was, you want to hear the rules, right? Yeah, rule one was, do the fucking work. And the problem is, everybody thinks they're doing the work. Everybody talks a good game. Ah, I'm ready to do trap. I'm going to do some straight up gangster shit until you have to do the gangster shit. And then you bail because you come up with validations why you can't do the rules. You can't do the work. Do the fucking work. When you don't feel like doing the work, do the fucking work. You know what discipline is? It's doing the shit that you need to do. What is necessary to change where you are, your position, whatever that may be, into where you want to be, regardless of what it is. I've learned that catastrophe and adversity don't shape you. They expose you. 100%. They do not shape who you are. You are who you are. They expose who the fuck you are. And most people shove it down because everybody on this planet 
is a fucking beast inside. You really are. That's how you're born, man. You are born a fucking beast, an animal. It's inside you. You are taught to either leash it, cage it, let it the fuck out and control. It's the only two things. And most people, 99%, leashed and caged. Because they're taught not to be that. Right? Oh, don't do that. Don't run around being a fucking serial killer. Control your beast, man. But do the work. That's what we want. Do the fucking work. If you don't, if you want a better relationship, do the work. You want a happier life, do the work. You want more money, do the fucking work. And then when you get there, what do you do, right? You gotta know what you're going to do. And then, you know what? Like, number two, you're gonna fucking die, man. Like, you're gonna die. It's the weirdest thing when people go, I'm gonna do it later. It makes me want to throat tap somebody when they're like, I'm gonna do it later. Fuck, I don't have time for you. I've literally punted people out of my life for just going, I'll get to it later. Bye. And then I just, like, I delete their number, right? Like, oh, fuck, later. I don't have time. Fuck, you are, you, like, you're on the fucking clock. No matter what anyone says, you're on the fucking clock. If you think for a second that you're not on the clock, you are higher than fuck. Because you, like, you heard me say, like, we're all, like, it freaks me out so bad, Frank. It freaks me out so bad. We are in the same fucking line. You, me, my wife, my kids, everybody, my fucking dog, everybody. We're all in the same line. And that line goes to the same ride at the end. The same fucking ride. You, me, everybody ends up on that ride. I don't care what you believe. Except the freaky part is you have no clue when you're going to step out of line. None. What the fuck are you doing in that line? Man? What are you going to do with your time in that line? Right? What are you going to do? There's like that whole story about all you have is the dash. The, the year at the beginning and the year at the end doesn't matter. What you are is the dash. The same thing, man. Like you're in that line. What are you going to do when you're waiting in that line? If that's what you're doing is waiting, you're making mistakes. You're making mistakes. You know, it's like if you think you're going to quit, if you're like, it's too hard, Trevor, I got to quit. I'm not, I just, I got to give up. Just, a, I can't do this anymore. Absolutely. I fully agree. Tell yourself that is what you'll do tomorrow. You want to quit? You fucking bet. You just do it tomorrow. Procrastinate on that. And when you wake up tomorrow and you go, oh, fuck it, I'm not going to quit. Because I'll bet you anything that you don't wake up the next day ready to quit. I will bet you everything. Because if you wake up the next day and you still are in that mindset, I'll quit. Because you won't be. You're not going to be. Because inherently in your DNA, in your subconscious, in your fucking soul, you know you're going to die and nothing is scarier than actually coming to terms with your own mortality. Because my last workout was 10 squats at 225, just fast, in a 500-meter run, five rounds, and I blew through this motherfucker. And I felt awesome. I came inside and I told my wife was sick right before I went to the hospital. I said, yeah, I said, fuck. I, like, I love giving her workouts and she gives me workouts. And it's like, you got to try this. Because I knew she would just smoke it. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to try it. That was the last real workout I did. Because I wound up in ECU. I, I see it too, I said. But I thought I was invincible, man. You're not. But what you are is either mentally prepared or not. And so if you decide, yeah, I am going to die. I don't know. I mean, God forbid it would be shitty. I just keel over right now. I can't change that. But when people go, oh, live your day like it's your last, it's a cute little meme, you're feeding yourself your own, you're buying into your own bullshit narrative that you, you, you want to believe it, but you're not really believing it. You're just saying it. A lot of people, they have this cognitive dissonance, right? The stuff going on in their brain does not match the shit coming out of their mouth. <laughs> they wonder why they're unhappy. I'm like, because you're having an argument in yourself all the time. What a nightmare that would be. 
Like I tell it's it's even anything simple. Listen, you go home and you are sleeping with your wife or husband or whatever. You're having sex with your significant other and you want to do it a certain way. And in your head, you're thinking about it, but you're talking about doing something completely different. And then you're bitter about how you and your wife don't have good sex. Dumbass, have you ever sat down and talked to her? You ever open your mouth and gone, hey, I really want to do it like this? Because I'll bet you anything she'll be like, fuck yeah, let's do that. Hey, I want my house to look like this. I want to eat this. But you think it, do something different. It's in everything. It's like a fucking poison. Because people think, hey, it's the ultimate manana syndrome. I got tomorrow. You're going to die. What are you waiting for? So that is rule number two. Rule number three is do what you fucking say, man. Because you will absolutely butcher and annihilate credibility by not doing what you say. Except you're, you're crushing your own credibility with yourself. It's not with anyone else. It's your credibility with your fucking self. Every time you do something, you're depositing goodwill into your own account. Every time you finish, like even the people, ah, dude, I was going to do this workout. It was supposed to be 30 minutes long. I just, I had to cut it short a little bit. I just wasn't feeling it. You're a bitch. The end. Don't talk to me. You talk to me when you finish those last eight reps. Well, that's pretty harsh. Really? My son, we went to a place here. It's called Wolfpack. It was a jiu-jitsu place when we first got here two plus years ago. And when there's only two places, 316 and Wolfpack. And I went to Wolfpack because it just happened to be the first one on my list. No, I didn't have any other reason. So they only talked about MMA. I was like, oh, cool. So we go in there. I walk in there. It was like the fucking, the inmates are running the asylum. Like it was just a shit show. And I'm like, this is jiu-jitsu? Uh, I come from a Gracie Academy. He would kill every one of you guys right fucking now. He would just burn it down and start all over. And I'm walking in and I'm watching all these little kids teach other little kids that have no business teaching anybody. And I walk, like, it's just such a trainer. My son is going with this girl. She winds up slapping him. And I was like, what the fuck was that? And he looks at me like, Dad, what, what do I do? And I go, put her in the fucking mat. You stuff her face in the mat. I don't care if it's a girl. You're not beating her up. You guys are doing jujitsu. You're fucked if that happens in real life. So he didn't stuff her in the mat. And the mom happened to be there. Beside I didn't know it was her. It was the best story ever. And she's like, she goes, she's literally like, she, he, he does this really cool hip toss, like knee hip throw, throws her into an arm bar right away, like rolls back. My son is a fucking animal with jujitsu. He's this little kid that'll tap you out, put you to sleep, and then hug you after. Like he's such a good human being. He's a good, good kid. I was proud of that, obviously. And he just demolished this girl. And she turned out to be the tough one in the class, right? And, the, and I was like, that's how you do it. And I would side coach it all. I hate that shit because let the coach do the coaching. But I had to let it out. And she was like this. I didn't know it was the mom. That he just stuck her face in the mat. And then she comes as we're leaving. And she's like, you know, she's never lost before. And I go, that's because she doesn't do jujitsu. And I just kept on fucking going. I'm like, your son's a clown or your daughter's a clown. But when we were there, I was watching this shit show ping pong all over the place. And I looked at Brandy and I go, fuck this. This isn't a school. This is a parade. I can't do this. I, this is dumb. And she's like, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to drag his ass off the mat and get the fuck out of here. And then I went, wait a minute. Mm -mm. You do what you say you're going to do. You finish that fucking cross. You know, it's the shit. I don't care. You finish it. You write it out because you're teaching your son, your daughter, yourself that it's okay to stop halfway. And we do that all the time. I've done it. You've done it. We still catch ourselves doing it. And then you realize, you're like, oh, but that erodes your credibility in yourself. Because while he was on the mat, I was on the phone with Mike Hatcher, the owner of 316. And I'm like, hey, man, uh, can I come by your school? He goes, yeah, that's tomorrow. I have a 1130 is when we do an open mat and we test all the new kids. I go, absolutely. I'll see you tomorrow. Never left that place afterwards. Most dope ass, tight, linear, like rule driven. Just amazing. That's how it should be. But if you don't teach your son, your daughter, yourself, 
to do what you say, nothing else is going to matter because you don't have credibility in yourself. You start doubting yourself. When you doubt yourself, you execute poorly because you start softening your goals. You make these impotent goals. You're like, hey, listen, I want to have this. I want to have this. I want to do this. I want to do this. Great. Until you hear the work. Like if you tell me something, Frank, you're like, hey, Trev, listen, I, you want to do this, whatever this X, Y, Z thing is. And then you give me some coaching advice. You go, listen, Trev, this is what's involved. And I go, ooh. Okay, instead of doing that, let's do this instead. Right about there is when you go like this. Trev, come here for a second, a little closer. What's the matter with you, man? Because you're softening your goals based on the amount of effort that you need to exert to achieve. So you talk yourself out of it. That's a very common disease, which is the same thing as going, uh, my word to myself is worthless as fuck. And the last thing is, get risky. Get really fucking risky. I mean, epically risky. Like, not stupid shit like evil from evil off the Grand Canyon kind of thing. But I mean, like, half the people here are like, evil from evil. So, <laughs> he keeps talking about the same story. I love the interviews of that, right? So what was going through your mind precisely the moment right before you crashed? Uh, maybe that this was a bad idea. Like, <laughs> exactly. ever, like hey, these interviews, the follow-up interviews are retarded. So, but you got to take risks. Like life is so risky. You're going to die. Go back to rule number two. You're not making it out. You're not. The end. You're not making it out. Like literally, mic drop. But yeah. What, what are you waiting for? You're just not taking risks for what? You're afraid? Afraid of what? Most of our own demons, like you cannot, you cannot solve imaginary fucking demons and problems you create in your own head. They are unsolvable. So what are you doing not taking risks? I, I, you could look at anyone's life right now. You could tell us to any one of your clients right now, any of your friends, anywhere in your own life. And you can go, where am I having my biggest struggle points in my life right now? Where? What the fuck? It's just like, I just cannot get through this. I can't get by it. I can't get past it. I can't move on with it. It's stressing me out. It makes me cry at night. I, I don't know how. A, but you could just literally go through the laundry list of problems in your life in the biggest struggle point of your life. And I'll tell you, you are doing exactly one thing. You're playing safe. That is exactly what is happening. Because everywhere that you're winning, you just flip the script. You're not. I'll prove it. You just tell me anything and I'll be like, yeah, see, right? You're not playing safe. You're fucking full throttle. Everywhere you're playing safe, yeah, you're right. Fuck. It is such an easy way to diagnose your life and do an autopsy on what you do. People overcomplicate the shit out of everything and wonder why nothing works. You're getting complicated. There's only 10 commandments. Like, fuck, it's not that hard. There's more cell phone laws than 10 commandments. <laughs> fuck. So those are, those are my four rules. But you got to take risks. You have got to take risks. If you want to get the epic life, everything you've done right here, whether it's the happiness, the marriage, the fitness, the money, the, the, the sex, the hugs, the cuddles, the dog, the house, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever you've done to get right here will not work. You have to do something different. And, and people get scared. But if you get scared and knotted up, and, and you know, you do that thing where all of a sudden you're just like, sphincter out, perfect, you're going the right direction. I usually tell, it's, it's advice that I get mixed feelings on, but usually it's about 80 20, right? Good old 80 20 rule. And it is that when I go, whatever everybody else is telling you to do or not to do, do the fucking opposite. Because people, when they go, I love you unconditionally, careful, I usually love you on one condition that you are not going to do better than that. And that sucks. So when you find someone that literally gets in your corner and goes, okay, you are going to smoke this. And it doesn't matter what you do. They are always cheering you on, helping you, lifting you up. Going, Dude, there are only two types of people, right? Lift up, push down. Strand yourself with people lift up. I told you how to expose them. Start stacking wings, wins like a savage, throwing points on the board. See who cheers. 
those are the ones you want to hang out with. Yeah, this is th- the, this is this is incredible. I don't even need to follow it up. But how do people build their own rules? Because just take these four. Like these are I think these, these are the rules for everybody. You can use. And I have only one family rule, only one. Because people, okay, well, how do I apply this to my family? Which is a very valid question, right? Like it's it always it is the same. It is the same for everything. Get vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Your family, your wife, your kids. You get vulnerable, and I mean you get vulnerable when you talk to your kids. I mean I'm five ten and change, and about a buck ninety five. But I am a very gigantic presence in a fucking room. That's just who I am. And I've always been this way. And it's not saying it to be arrogant. Look at me. I just am like this. My dad was like this. So I, I mean, I have no problem getting on a stage and talking in front of 10,000 people. I've done it because that's where I'm at. But that energy is very intimidating to people. Because they're like, holy fuck. So I say, in relation to talking to your kids, take a knee. Mm. You're down in front of your son and daughter. One name, eye to eye. Have a conversation. When they're two, have a conversation like an adult. When they're mm-hmm. 10, have a conversation like an adult. Don't belittle them. But when they get hurt, when they get a boo-boo, you know what they need first? Dad. You wipe out on their bike. Don't be like, well, fuck, we've been riding this bike for the last two hours. How hard is this to do? They just need you to come over and hug. Give them a hug. Love on them. Kiss their little bleeding knee. And then, oh, all right. You ready to make this thing your, your uncle? Don't say bitch because it'd be shitty. <laughs> you ready to make this thing? Just own it. It's this thing. Kind of a sissy, huh? Pick up the blank. I got you. We're going we're gonna to work this thing. It's going to regret knocking you off. That's how you treat people, though. And I, I mean, like, like, like psychologically, take a knee when you talk to somebody. Because if people try and overshadow and ram their opinion mm-hmm. down their or they look up and they're like, oh, you're the greatest. Like, either or, or not, they don't help. They're not beneficial. But with your family, you be vulnerable. But that means like my wife has no problem telling me, hey, you're being kind of a dick. She has no problem saying that to me. None. And I love that because she doesn't sit there and, and go, if I say something, he's going to get really mad. She doesn't give a shit. She goes, hey, you're being an asshole. Don't be an asshole. I have one rule about interactions with human beings and communication. Everything's rule driven. Don't be a dick. It's that easy. Don't be a dick. I'm going to make a shirt. Probably sell thousands of them. That's it. But at the same time, she has no problem going, listen, uh, I can't wait till the kids go to bed. It's going to get freaky. Or uh, go out and kill the fucking grizzly bear. (laughs) You need to be all those people for your family. And all of those are predicated on one thing, being vulnerable to your family so they feel comfortable coming to you. Because otherwise, they will either bottle it up or they will go talk to someone else. And they might not get the best advice from someone else, especially your kids. Brother, I knew bringing you on here today was going to be just so impactful. I've, I, I probably said the least amount of words I've said on any of these. Oh, sorry. It's probably been one of the great. No, because this is about you. Like the podcast is not me. Like I'm here to bring you on, to share you with the audience. I'm just so incredibly grateful. Like, like I hope I get a ton of value. That's exactly what I'm, that's exactly what I'm saying here is there's been so much value that I didn't even need to ask any questions because it's just literally just been nonstop value from start to finish. But you did tell me at the beginning that there was nothing off limits. So I wanted to ask you something about your faith because you obviously talked about it growing up. Your dad's a pastor, you know, so obviously it was a part of, of of the foundation at which you were raised in. Yeah. And then you had some moments, you know, through through your journey and through your story where you were wrestling with God, right? So you got angry at him and kind of talking to him. Where's your faith today? Where's your relationship with, with God? And, and, and just how is that playing out in your life here today? Easy. 100%. There's no question. Like, I, I literally spat out two miracles and I could do this all day long. Like, I have thousands of these, but I look around my world. I'm breathing oxygen. My lungs work. I walk out of that 
door, that front door, every day I take my dog out and I play with my dog for about 10 minutes at dusk while he does his business because dogs have to have a purpose, right? Otherwise they start fucking up your house and your yard. And so I do that. And the whole time I'm out there with my dog, I'm thanking God. That is my prayer time. I sit there and I talk to God. Thank you so much for, and I just list off all the things that I'm grateful for, because you know what? I think it's, it's not that whether or not you believe in God, God always believes in you. It has nothing to do with that. It's whether or not you allow him to do that for you. You're going to let him in because he's going to keep believing in you. Even if you make dumbass decisions, he's going to be like, fuck, come on, man. I gave you these, I gave you these commandments. I gave you this guidance. I gave you this. I, I showed you where you needed to go, man. Because people think that praying to, to God going, can I please have that new truck? Is going to get them a new truck. That is not how it fucking works. You know what God does? Hey, God, I just, I am so scared right now. I don't know what the fuck to do. And God goes, let me give you something really cool. Let me give you the opportunity to show courage. And if that doesn't sink in at the deepest level, then you need to sit down and ask God some questions. You don't ask a person. Talk to God. I talk to God like I'm talking to you. You don't think I drop F-bombs to God? He's heard me anyway. So I'm like, sorry. Like, you know, I'm not swearing. And there was a time, believe me, Frank, I fucking hated. I was so bitter. I was so bitter. Just filled with venom towards God because I blamed God. You know what? I remember one time my dad said something to me that has never, ever left my mind. And I said, you know what? It was right when I got diagnosed with cancer. My life was just like, fucking deplaning, right? Like just terrible. And he said, and I said, yeah, fucking God. And I just, I finally went, you know what? Fuck God. He did this to me. This is his fault. I don't deserve this. I'm, how come there are rapists and shitty human beings? Murderers. They live to be 95. I get this. I didn't do this. I didn't deserve this. And I'm like, it's his fault. He's hurting me. You know what my dad said? He didn't miss with me. He gave me a hug. He said, I was mad too. It was better. I didn't want to tell my parents that I had cancer because I didn't want them to worry, but I did. And uh, I said, he goes, it's not how God works. God doesn't do bad things to people. People do bad things to people. The devil does bad things to people. God doesn't do bad things to people. I think the coolest thing is when you actually know, like just because people say, we say grace every night. Thank God for all the things every night. We have dinner. You know? I mean, I'm the guy that was raised on a farm. Go wash your hands before you sit at this fucking table, boy. You know? And my dad is like, you can work half days your whole life, right? The first 12 or the last 12, take your pick. So that's how I was raised. But the number one was, you better thank God. you got another day. I wake up and it's funny because I actually say it. <laughs> Thanks God, I fucking won again. And I remember the first time I did that, my wife was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I fucking won, man. I woke up with you. I woke up with got this like great life. Holy shit, I get to do it again. Dude, score. You know, and that's how I look at everything. And, and I, I look at it as everything is because, not, you know, in a negative way, in a positive way. Because I think life doesn't happen to you. It happens because of you. And because of you is because of who you're listening to. So if what's coming into your brain, it doesn't matter what it is. Eventually, what's coming into your dome here is going to come out. So you better, I said this to my son on Thursday, coming home from school. I said, one of the most important things you need to do, Scooter, I call him Scooter, right? His name's Pearson. And uh, I said, one of the most important things you need to do, Scooter, is you have to guard your thoughts, guard your mind, guard what goes into your ears. doesn't matter who it is, you guard it. And I explained it and he got it. I mean, this is a kid that at five years old, this is wild, man. We're leaving jujitsu. He, he got his ass handed to him one day. He was five, five, fucking five, Frank. And jujitsu was maybe uh, a mile from my house at the time. We're driving home and he just got beat all over the map. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? 
And I'm not one of those dads, you know, like, you suck, what happened? You know, like, just, that's, you're a bitch if you're a dad that does that. You need to get on the mat with me for a little while. And I said, hey, Scooter. I said, I looked over and I'm like, so what happened, bro? All right? And he goes, he didn't miss a beat. He just looks at me and he's like, hey, dad, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. He goes, today I was the nail. And I just, I, I didn't know what to do. I, it caught me so off guard, Frank. I'm sitting in the driver's seat in this Dodge. I still remember my 2006 Mega Cap. And I'm like, you just said a more valuable statement than probably 99% of the people on the planet. And you got it. Holy shit. So part of me did this. Nice work, Dad. And the rest of the big part of me went. As you should. Thanks, dude. Because he's known it his whole life. So I think with my faith, it's unwavering. Like, I don't question because I'm like, even when they got into my chest, Frank, they're like, it was way worse. It was an hour longer. I said, we were, Randy and I were just talking about this. I said, sometimes I don't realize just how close I came to dying. And then the flip side, I go, was I really that close? Or was it just like, hey, I got you. I got you. Come on. Right? So it's, it's a little bit of a wrestling match. But if they would have nicked, you know, my abdominal aorta, for example, it's like this fucking big. They just nick it. I'm out. Like those are the things that if you really think about, you are living in miracles all day long. So yeah, there's never any question. And, and I talk to God all the time and in a very important way that he's my best friend because you need to. And I think people that think going to church defines whether or not you believe in God, that's just church. That doesn't do it. It surrounds you with like-minded people. That's important. But it doesn't mean that, that, that just, there's a lot of people that think they're going to heaven. I think you're going to go. So this is my opinion. But I, I think that that's just your choice. You know, and, and I think you need to have a discussion with why you believe because that's going to define everything else. Yeah, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for sharing that. Thank you for today. Just, I mean, the entire audience, the world is blessed because you're here every single day. Millions of people are being impacted by you, by your work, by your story. And I'm just so grateful to have had you here today. And I'm looking forward to what I really feel is the beginning of, of something great is going to come out. I felt that in Nashville. I know you, I know you said the same thing here as well. So obviously I want to be, you know, we're coming up here on the last couple of minutes here. So I do want to get our last question in, but before we do that, where can people connect with you more? Where, you know, what are you excited about? What are you working on right now? And then we'll end it with the last question. I'd like to end every single episode. Here. Yeah, no problem. All right. So, I mean, they can find me Smashworks on Instagram, the W E R X, right? Cause everybody spells it W R K S Smashworks on Instagram, Smashworks on Facebook, get in touch with me anywhere on that. They could actually, I have my cells on there and text me. That's how open I am. But I have a project that I actually just started. I told you about the Spartan company. Where it is, it is a one-year program. We coach like men to change their entire fucking life. I mean, literally like develop an unstoppable mindset. Yeah, I expect fitness. If people go, I don't really want to do a fitness program, it's not for you. I'm not for you. Because if you can't manage your body, you can't manage anything else, period. I don't care if you're fat, skinny, wheelchair, it doesn't matter. Just come in and be willing to do the work. We apply the four rules. We level up finances. I teach people how to go from zero to a million-dollar business in 12 months. I give them the entire blueprint. So if they are at $83,333 a month on month 12, they didn't listen to the fucking plan because I make sure that the onus is on them from start to finish. But I do not hold anything back. I give it all out. Coach calls live. They have access to me all the time. And that's the most dope thing that I'm doing. And that's, the thing, that's what I'm really passionate about. I can't wait to do that all the time. Spartan Company. And that's, and that's, and that's uh, so this is going to air mid, mid-June, uh, early to mid-June when, when, it, when you launch in the Spartan Company. The Spartan Company starts well it actually i did a beta test with five people it went crazy it was amazing so it starts full throttle june 1st 
And that's when we're just going to start taking people. And then I run through evolutions every month because every month is a module, right? So every month is a start one again. And it doesn't matter where you are, right? You're always going to start, on, start on, on, on day one. But that's how you run through it. And every month we take a new round of people. Incredible. Guys, we'll get all his Instagram, his YouTube, the Spartan Company links down there in the show notes. You need to be following this guy, even if it's just to inject inspiration into you and into your life on a daily basis, because he shows up on Instagram like nobody else, live behind the scenes in the garage working out. You see Brandy that we talked a lot about here today. So we'll make sure to get that shared down there in the show notes. Last question, Trevor. Obviously, the title of the show is The Superhuman Life. In 60 seconds, how does Dr. Trevor Bachmeyer define living a superhuman life? Oh, it's easy. Life is something you get to do not something you've got to do. So every time you're about ready to do something or decide on something, you pull back on something, it's the Nike model. Just fucking do it. You get to do mm. this. So throttle up. You don't have a choice. Like if you're going to do anything other than going full throttle, you're wasting your own time and those around you. Incredible. Guys, you heard it here today. And number one, you're going to die. So stop waiting. Begin to take action. And we're so thankful for Dr. Trevor here today with sharing just incredible wisdom. I mean, this man has lived multiple lifetimes, been saved and rescued. You heard all the miracles here today. So to have him sharing with us for almost 75 minutes, nonstop, guys, you have an absolute gift that was handed to you today. So thank you for sticking around with us here today. Most importantly though, if there's somebody in your life that needs to hear this, maybe they're going through some of these things. Maybe they're dealing with that mindset and they just need to inject this into their life. They need to hear Dr. Trevor. They need to be literally consuming this information on the daily. Do us a favor, but do them a blessing by sharing this conversation with them. But for Dr. Trevor uh, Bachmeyer, Smashworks, Frank Richard, The Superman Life, we love you guys, and we'll see you next week.